I'm Rory McCleary, Artistic Director of the Marion Consort, introducing this short podcast about our new recording, Singing in Secret. We were originally planning to launch the new CD with a Q&A before our concert in Edinburgh this Saturday, 28th of March. So because that's no longer possible, I'm instead going to delve into the fascinating background of the disc for you now, before answering some of your questions. The evocative title for Singing in Secret comes from the fact that all of the music on the CD is likely to have been performed hidden away behind closed doors, something which seems strangely prescient at the moment. This is because it was written by a Catholic composer, William Byrd, at a time during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I when he and his fellow recusants, so-called because they refused to renounce their faith in favour of England's official religion, Protestantism, They were forced to worship in secret for fear of being discovered by the authorities. Penalties for recusancy could be severe. They ranged from fines and imprisonment for ordinary laypeople to, in the case of Jesuit priests, who were trained at the English College in Rome and smuggled into England in secret, much more severe punishments, including torture, disembowelment, hanging, and even beheading. To give you a little flavour, Here's an eyewitness account of the execution of a Catholic missionary in 1578. He was cut down before he was half dead, dismembered and ripped up, and as the hangman plucked out his heart, he lifted himself up a little, and as some that stood near report, spake these words, I forgive the Queen and all that were causes of my death. But I, though I saw his lips move, yet heard not so much, and the hangman had three or four blows at his head before he could strike it off. So now a little bit about William Byrd. Byrd was born in London in around 1540 to a large musical family. He was most likely a chorister at one of the major musical and religious institutions in the city, learning the craft of singing and composing church music. And as such, he would have been keenly aware of the multiple stark changes in official religious practice between Catholicism and Protestantism that took place as various successive Tudor monarchs took the throne between 1547 and 1559. 
He studied with the great English composer Thomas Tallis, before taking up the position of organist and master of the choristers at Lincoln Cathedral in his early 20s. There wasn't much love lost between Byrd and the clergy at Lincoln, probably due to his religious beliefs, and in 1572, when the death of Robert Parsons left a vacancy among Elizabeth I's gentlemen of the Chapel Royal, Byrd seized the opportunity and moved to London. He would keep this position for the remainder of his life, dying in 1623, although importantly, in the 1590s, he and his family moved away from London to the village of Stondon Massey in Essex, to be near one of his staunchest supporters and patrons, the Catholic nobleman Sir John Petre. There's not really time here to go into Bird's biography in any more detail, but it's definitely worth investigating, and I can heartily recommend a book by Kerry McCarthy, simply called Bird the Master Musician, if you'd like to know more, as well as Dermot McCulloch's The Later Reformation in England, if you'd like a more in-depth overview of the history of the period in which he lived. Suffice it to say that he was one of the most talented musicians of the Elizabethan era, held in high regard not only by the Queen, but also by his fellow composers and by amateur music collectors, one of whom wrote that he was a glory to our race and a nightingale to our people. He was also a devout and lifelong Catholic, and this was very important for his composing. Byrd seems to have drawn musical inspiration from his faith, and some of his most powerful and musically engaging works set Latin religious texts that clearly held a great deal of personal meaning for him, like the Miserere Mei, which became well known as the final words of many Jesuit martyrs spoken from the gallows at Tyburn. Bird himself writes that, in the very sentences, as I have learned from experience, there is such hidden and concealed power that to a man thinking about divine things and turning them over attentively and earnestly in his mind, the most appropriate measures, and by this he means measures of music, the most appropriate measures come, I know not how, as if by their own free will, and freely offer themselves to his mind if it is neither idle nor inert. This is taken from the introduction to one of his later published collections, the Gradualia, in which he set out to provide appropriate music for all of the major feasts of the Catholic Church year. He dedicated the second volume to Sir John Petre, saying of its contents that these little flowers are plucked, as it were, from your gardens. And it seems very likely that much, if not all, of this music was written with performance at private Catholic gatherings very much in mind. We know from a contemporary account that Bird was present at one of these gatherings in 1586, a meeting and mass to celebrate the arrival in England of the Jesuit missionaries Henry Garnet, who would later be executed for his complicity in the gunpowder plot, and Robert Southall. The place was most suited to our work and ministrations, not merely for the reason that it was remote and had a congenial household and company, but also because it possessed a chapel, set aside for the celebration of the church's offices. The gentleman was also a skilled musician, and had an organ and other musical instruments, and choristers, male and female, members of his household. During these days, it was just as if we were celebrating an uninterrupted octave of some great feast. Mr. Bird, the very famous English musician and organist, was among the company. 
It's interesting to note that they mention very specifically that both men and women were performing this music. We tend to think of this type of religious music as the preserve of all male choirs, men and boys choirs, at this period. But in fact, it would have been women very often singing the top lines. We also know that Byrd was aware of the danger that his inescapably Catholic music posed. His highly unusual decision to publish his three settings of the Mass, without title page, date, or the name of the printer, makes much more sense when you find out that a Jesuit was arrested in 1605 with copies of Byrd's music on his person. Part of the reason, besides his obvious musical talent, why for me Byrd's music is so exciting, far more so than any of his continental contemporaries like Lassus or Palestrina, his music carries a real sense of urgency and of great personal longing. And as a performer, you can really feel his engagement with the text, sometimes in an almost visceral way. This is very much the case in his All Saints propers, and especially in Beati Mundo Corde, where he uses the compositional device of the false relation to heighten the tension of the words at blessed are those who suffer persecution. He pushes the clashes closer and closer together until they're right on top of each other, before the wonderful moment of release at and theirs is the kingdom of heaven, where the music relaxes, and it feels like the sun finally comes out from between the clouds. The All Saints propers are also wonderful because they're so pictorial, something Byrd learnt from the Italian madrigal composers whose music became popular in England at the end of the 16th century. The way that in Timete Dominum, which is the gradual for all saints, he really brings to life the busyness of all those who are toiling and labouring, and the subsequent refreshment, I always refer to this as the Diet Coke time moment in rehearsals, is absolutely astonishing. The final work on our CD is the most substantial, and perhaps the most extraordinary. In Felix Ego is Bird's setting for six voices of an incredibly personal meditation on Psalm 51, the famous Miserere, as set of course by Allegri, among others, written by the Florentine firebrand preacher Girolamo Savonarola. Savonarola's In Felix Ego text, penned in captivity prior to his execution in 1498, is full of rhetorical statements and questions, passing gradually from dejection and misery to repentance and finally hope. And this emotional journey is exquisitely captured by Byrd with countless extraordinary moments before the heart-stopping A-flat major chord for the very final misericordiam of the piece, which for me is a real moment of pathos, but also of hope made manifest in music.
So now it's time for some of your questions. And again, thank you so much for sending us these. First up, what goes into making a recording? Well, there are a huge number of things required to make a recording. First of all, I come up with a programme for the CD. This is in many ways the easiest bit, as there's so much fantastic repertoire that I would love for us to record. We've now made 11 discs, Singing in Secret being the most recent, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface yet. We then schedule the recording dates in the diary in consultation with the lovely people at Delphian Records, our recording partner. And we find a venue which is going to be just the right fit acoustically for the music. This is harder than you might think, as so many beautiful church acoustics are on flight paths or right next to busy main roads. Once this is done, the big job is raising the funds to cover the costs involved, including the record producer, rehearsal and session fees for the singers, the venue hire, music costs, the editing, and then the actual physical production of the CD, as well as all of the artwork and the copy editing for the CD booklet. For Singing in Secret, we launched a crowdfunder which people were very generous in supporting, and we're also fortunate to have support for our recordings from the Friends of the Marion Consort. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get involved in helping us with our next recording, then do have a look on our website, www.marionconsort.co.uk, on the Support Us page. Once all of the funding is in place, we schedule in a few days of rehearsal, and then spend usually three days recording, doing up to six hours a day, split normally into two three-hour sessions, which can be quite tough work mentally and vocally. The editor then puts together a first edit, which we listen to and comment on, and this goes back and forth a few times until we're all happy with it, at which point we sign off on it, and it gets mastered, basically a final bit of spit and polish, ready for release. This can take several months, and usually happens quite a while, maybe four to six months, after the recording sessions, so the whole process can often take up to a year. While all of this is going on, the CD booklet is also being prepared, including the notes about the music, the artwork, and all of the other text, which needs to be collated, proofed, laid out, and then given another set of final checks before being sent off to the printer. So you've asked, how did we pick the specific repertoire for singing in secret? There's a huge wealth of Latin-texted sacred music by William Byrd from which to choose for a disc like this, Um, and it was a tough job trying to whittle it down to just a 60-minute recital. But we knew that we wanted to record the Mass for Four Voices and the All Saints Propers, which interleave between the movements of the Mass. They've been part of our performing repertoire for quite some time now, and we very much wanted to put them down on disc. For the other music, it was a mixture of pieces that I've known for a very long time, some of which were some of the earliest pieces of William Byrd that I ever sang as a boy chorister, and pieces that I've discovered only really more recently, but all of which felt like they fitted well with the tone and the shape of our recital. And we decided that we wanted to finish with something really monumental like In Felix Ego, Um, It felt appropriate because it really is a summation, both for us on the disc, but also I think for Byrd, of all of his feelings about the Catholic faith and about the situation in which he found himself during his lifetime. So a third question, how do you pace yourself over several days of recording? That is a very good one, and it is quite often something that we need to think about, because after three days of singing for six hours a day and trying always to give of your best, 
to make sure that that's what makes it onto the disc, you can find yourself really very vocally and, like I said, mentally um, tired. So it's really important to try and and pace it all out if you can. We try to mix around the things that we're recording to give people breaks, to give people plenty of time off, um, and also just making sure that you keep really well hydrated and that you're eating well and sleeping well if you can. Like anything else in life, those things are so important um, to try and keep well and, and you know keep it, keep it your best. So your next question is, what's our next recording going to be? We're really excited that we've already got something in the pipeline. It's a collaboration with the Illyria Consort, a wonderful instrumental ensemble led by the Baroque violinist Boyan Cicic. And we're going to be working together on a disc of music from early Baroque Croatia. And we're hoping to record it sometime this summer for release in 2021. Beyond this, we have all sorts of ideas for the future. A follow-up to our Music for the Queen of Heaven disc with more contemporary settings of Marian texts. Music for Voices and Instruments by Heinrich Isaac, who was chapel master to the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. Masses and motets by the wonderful Franco-Flemish composer Clemens Nonpapa, and a whole host of other projects. We just need your help to make these all possible. So a final question from social media. What would you say to Bird if you could meet him today? I think that's a really good question. Um, I'm afraid the answer might be along the lines of never meet your heroes, sadly, because we know uh, from various surviving documents that Bird was famously curmudgeonly and difficult to get on with. Um, He had a a long protracted legal dispute about property um, with somebody. And from the tone of that, it seems very clear that he perhaps was hard to get on with at times. But also, I think I would talk to him about singing because he was a huge advocate of singing and all of the various benefits of singing to our mental and physical health um, and as a way of expressing ourselves. Um, In fact, he wrote down um, a set of eight reasons why singing was so good, uh, which finishes with the wonderful line, since singing is so good a thing, I wish all men would learn to sing. Um, And this is something that we very much believe in, with the Marian Consort and really it's the ethos behind a lot of the education work that we do because we firmly believe that singing is an incredibly democratic art form. Everybody can do it and it's a wonderful way for everybody to express themselves in music. Singing in Secret is out on Friday 27th of March and CDs are available to order from our website at www.marianconsult.co.uk. You can also stream it on Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Marianconsort or you can sign up to our mailing list on our website. This is Rory McCleary. Thanks again and stay safe. Thank you.
Thank you. 